All right. We ready? I believe we are. I think I've got decent levels. No one seems to be popping peas. Okay. Okay. Pretzels. Pumpkins. Pretzel. Pretzel. Pretzels on a stick. Okay. All right. Here we go. All right. Kathy, in three, two. I don't, did we give her any good material for the pre-show? <laughs> in space. Welcome, everybody, to Church in Space. In 3D. Hey, we haven't done this in a bit, and we're still on target. We are. On target? Yeah. Really? Us? Yeah. I feel like we just always miss it. I mean, we are Imperials, right? We're not stormtroopers here. <laughs> we're, we're a higher trained class of Imperial soldier. Shoot for the stars, <laughs> miss by a mile. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so today's topic is reasons for optimism, which I was thinking about this the other day, and I realized there's actually a lot of reasons for optimism, given the technological kind of advances we've kind of seen lately, right? So I was reading this article about a great new cancer drug, which inhibits growth by targeting a specific protein in tumors. And it's mm-hmm. working on all sorts of lung and prostate and all sorts of cancers. Like, it's amazing how many it's working on. If you follow Twitter, there was the report about uh, room temperature superconductors, which hasn't quite been confirmed yet, but would be awesome. Yes. Twitter, uh, the great peer-reviewed journal of our uh-huh, time. Uh-huh, yeah. I mean, but there's a lot of interesting people who seem to think there's some might be something to it mm-hmm. you know and better yet it was done with basically lead and copper so it was functionally alchemy instead. <laughs> <laughs> yes um and uh you know there's been some other stuff there have been advances in batteries i was reading that u.s per capita greenhouse co2 emissions are actually lower than they've been since the 40s you know and so we've actually made i think a lot of uh, I actually think there has been a lot of real progress, you know, and, and that progress should lead to like some real optimism. Like how much would it redefine the electric grid if we actually mm-hmm. had room temperature superconductors? <laughs> and fusion reactors, right. which we're making progress on too. Yeah, right. Like fusion reactors, batteries, right? You were telling me about, you know, new solid state batteries, mm-hmm. Dan. Like, mm-hmm. So I, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. And I, I think it's good to talk about that because... There's kind of this other narrative out there, which is like, everything's awful and the world's going to die, you know? And it's like, well, hold on a second, (laughs) you know, like maybe total disaster is not in the cards quite yet. Yeah. Right. Like, or, or at least we're close to having the technology to have our secret underground cities <laughs> that live out in the Dyson spheres. <laughs> <laughs> right, Dyson spheres. There, we'll just build a giant box around the sun. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> I'm down for it. Yep. You know that device is so wildly r- ridiculous. Every time I think about it, I'm like, yes, we will. We need so much space. It was easier to build a box around the sun (laughs) than to, you know, just go find another planet. If you had the technology, surely if you had the technology to build that giant thing, you could just go find another planet, find a little bit more energy somewhere, right? It's the same problem the Imperials have with, like, building... Why build a second Death Star when you could have just built a thousand new Star Destroyers? 
right. <laughs> Which are called Star Destroyers because... Because, you know, like you plop one of those things over a city, the city gets pretty peaceful after a while, yeah. you know? <laughs> or the complete opposite, yeah. yeah. Well, well, in our terms today, it becomes calm. Right. <laughs> yeah, becomes calm, right? Yeah. Anyway, so Dyson Spheres aside, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for real space for real optimism. Mm-hmm at the moment and i think that gets us to science fiction which always has kind of a interesting relationship to optimism shall i say some of it like the early stuff especially is very optimistic stuff like you know asimov and clark you know the the world's gonna be saved through technology you know saved by science right yeah (laughs) it should be our like the tagline saved by science and jesus uh (laughs) you know that is actually a good merchandising uh, opportunity there gentlemen saved by science and jesus pick one we can finally get our budget yeah Mm -hmm. there we go um but you also have like the philip k dick stuff right you know uh, that is very pessimistic, you know, the the Blade Runner universe kind of thing, right? Yeah. Philip K. Dick is an interesting case of, it's simultaneously dystopian and pessimistic, mm-hmm. but there's also this really cool vibe underneath it. <laughs> it's a cool dystopia. It, well, it is. It is, yeah, especially when you actually read the writing, not just the movie yeah, adaptations. Yeah, the movie adaptations. There is this really cool vibe underneath <laughs> you know, mankind's extermination. Yeah, right. <laughs> mankind's going to be exterminated, but it's Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Harrison Ford again. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean humanity. I don't know. I mean, so many people do see it as pessimistic, but Mm -hmm. I see an underlying kind of optimism in Philip K. Dick for humanity as well. Okay. So how, I guess I would say. His main characters are on the hero's journey, the archetypal mythology Mm -hmm. hero's journey. Yeah. And they always find themselves. Mm -hmm. It may be finding themselves through what ends up being their certain doom. (laughs) They'll die, but they will have found <laughs> their existence. Right. Yeah. But they do. To me, that's the optimistic undercurrent. They they do find themselves. They do figure themselves out. Yeah. They figure out whatever aspect of humanity was bothering Philip K. Dick that month when he wrote that novel. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so that's why there's this underlying yeah. coolness to it. So yeah, I'll I'll read it and be like all goth, oh, this is horrible. But at the end I'm going like, and yet. And yet. <laughs> and yet. And yet, existentially, he's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's why. Yeah. I also find things in some of the settings. Like, I mean, let's go with what Dick's most famous story that's been adapted into a movie mm-hmm. with Blade Runner. And, you know, do androids dream of electric sheep? The movie goes a little more in-depth into the environment of the city yeah. than the book actually does. But I like the vision the movie has for that. Yeah, it's dark and rainy all the time. <laughs> and the but environment's like, totally collapsed. Yes. <laughs> but it's multicultural. It's truly multicultural. Yeah, you know, true. It, It's like all of humanity is represented in every city. Mm-hmm. And that's another cool thing that, again, a reason for optimism, right? Yeah. Because in Philip K. Dick's universe, in that regard, mm-hmm. we all do get along. So. Yes. You know, the, the big divide is whether you're a synth or a or, human. but Or if you can afford life in the off-world colonies. Yes. This message brought to you <laughs> by Mars. <laughs> anyway, so that's why. Yeah. So what say you, Drew? A I, case for optimism? Well, 
I have no idea what you guys are talking about because uh, I don't read the well, news. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> because optimism <laughs> and <come>. expectations sometimes <laughs> lead to downfalls. It's kind of like your trailer mentality writ large. (laughs) Exactly, yes. I mean... (laughs) You don't want any teasers for what's going to happen. You don't want any teasers until it happens, yes. You don't want any teasers for movies (laughs) or or life. (laughs) Set your expectations low, and then you're never disappointed in life. Drew, you have a dentist appointment tomorrow. Don't tell me! (laughs) I just want to experience it. (laughs) Wait till the drill is on my tooth. What am I doing here? be not a terrible idea to have a traveling dentist <laughs> that just surprise <laughs> you're not flossing right. we have deemed you to have a dentist appointment today. <laughs> roving dentists <laughs> dentist. i'm going door to door to check your dental hygiene right. have you heard about our lord and savior molar <laughs> i'm from the department of dental health <laughs> my cuspid division dental under the, desk under the, Patri- under the patriot act we are pretty- <laughs> uh, so anyway, getting back on the topic. Back on the topic. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yes, it's a case for optimism, but it's hope doesn't disappoint. It is hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. hope is the better word. I usually distinguish between like optimism, which is everything is all right. Mm-hmm. You know, the glass is half full, and like hope. You know, which is well, it might not be, and, mm-hmm. and frequently it's not. You know, but there's reason to believe good may yet come out of it yeah you know um we may uh, yet have half a glass of water right we may yet be convinced that something good will come you know so it it is hope it's not optimism but it's it's hope i think there's room for hope yeah Mm -hmm. there's always room for hope or a new hope Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was just sitting there. I had to, I, I, <laughs> I had to take the swing over that one. <laughs> I'm actually surprised that I didn't get that, and it was you. Yeah, did this one. Yeah, There's lower standards, everybody. Yes. <laughs> There's well, no, no, not standards. Expectations. <laughs> Keep standards high. Expectations low. <laughs> Another T-shirt for us. Yes, I do think this. Getting back to the topic, this like. Hope, optimism versus pessimism thing is actually kind of an important dynamic in even like a lot of fan battles in science fiction. Mm-hmm. Like I think this is the essence of why some people hate DS9 and some people love it. I actually don't like DS9 at all. See, like, I, I and, loved it. Right. Why and, did you hate it? Well, because like I just I find the grittier Starfleet. I'm not interested in it. Like I, I yes. hate I hate Section 31 or whatever the intelligence group yeah, is. Yeah. Like I hate that that exists. I hate that they put into the Star Trek universe. Wait. But Boimler's going to be in it. I know. And I just, I, and that's fine. That's a redeeming enough quality, Pastor. No, 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 no. no. Uh. Um, and, but it's like, the issue there is like, what is Star Trek? Is it like this hopeful, optimistic utopianism mm-hmm. that's occasionally under threat, you know, which is what the episodes are about? Or is it this nitty gritty reality of this political federation, you know, and. That's, yeah. that's kind of the like DS9 thing there, right? Well, like, DS9 gets complicated. Yeah, that is yeah, part of it. It's yeah. also, you know, Star Trek answering American culture of the time of whatever oh, series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But in DS9, that's also mixed in with the fact that it was kind of, and keep in mind, I'm a diehard Trekkie, mm-hmm. but I'm admitting this. DS9 was pretty much just a ripoff of Babylon 5. Oh, yeah, it was totally. Yeah, in the Trek universe. It was, totally, the, yeah, right. it was, totally universe. It was like, Cheers in Space. <laughs> 
It was totally only at Quarks. Only a, <laughs> it was totally invented just to like undercut Battle Five. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, in that regard, <laughs> I agree with you. Uh-huh. But what Iris Stephen Bear and the cast ended up doing with it, yeah, you know, I, and a lot, a lot of the really good aspects of Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. were when Bear and the cast and the writers kind of ignored Rick Berman. <laughs> 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 and what he wanted them to do. Right. That's where you got the really, really good yeah, episodes. Yeah, yeah. No. And so it was strong in that regard. Yes. No, I'm not saying it's like a bad show. You know, I just, I don't like, like I can never finish the series. You it's know. It's just not your cup of tea. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. just not something that like I. You won't go in, back. Enjoy. Yeah. You know, and partially because I think that like optimistic element is missing. Uh, see, again, know? it's like the Philip K. Dick thing with me. Yeah. I see an undercurrent of optimism see, underneath uh, the grit of deep space. Right. Nine. There's a vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. My only real critique of deep space nine outside of the blatant ripoff of Babylon mm-hmm. five is the dominion war. Just like the Zindi war in enterprise. Mm-hmm. I thought the dominion war, it just dragged on too long. It's like, you know, come on, you can, it's really hard to tell, tell the story arc. In well, the it's it's really hard to tell an arc of a intergalactic conflict, right? I you mean, know, look at our half baked episode where it was what six seasons is that with for your uh, yeah, Romulan for the Earth Romulan yeah. War, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're right, six seasons. You know, and... yeah. So on to our game. I know that's not our music, but we'll just consider that a placeholder. James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, hold on. We can use the Golden Eye theme, the yeah. the, pause, the pause screen theme. Yeah, yeah. Did it? Did Yes. <laughs> oh, Golden Eye! What a wonderful game. All right. So our game is sci-fi. What if? So this is you take either something from like a story or like property, you know, decision that was made, and we do what if it would have. What what if would you like to see? Would you have liked to have seen? So okay. I will start as my illustration. What if Star Trek was act, the original series was actually given its full five-year mission? Because, uh, right, that was the theory of the show, right? It was, yeah. was going to be a five-year mission. But it five did. Five season. There were two seasons of Star Trek the Animated Series, which continued the voyage. I know, but the, the live... The live version. Oh, right? you got to be a purist. Huh? Yeah, I got to mm. be a purist, right? Um, so what if? And I actually don't know. This is the interesting thing about this scenario. I actually don't know if it becomes the classic. I would think not. If it actually spawns the whole universe, if it gets its full five years. Because like, part of Star Trek's thing is like they took it off the air early and that spawned these legions of like, really devoted fans, mm-hmm. right, who, like, wanted to see the show continue. Yeah. And then that drove to, like, the motion picture. and Well, it drove uh, to the cons. Right. Which proved there was a market. Right. And then that drove to, that the, drove to the animated series. series mm-hmm. Which then drove, drove to, to the, the motion movie. To the motion picture, yeah. which then, that was so weird that they had to redo it at Wrath of Khan. And then by then, we've got Star Trek Three because you can't mm-hmm. kill Spock. and. Mm-hmm. You know, then you got to get them home for, yeah. <laughs> you know, whales, by then, right? Whales, right? <laughs> yeah. They get them home via whales. It's a little weird, but okay. You know, it's a funny movie. You know, and yeah, I can see that. You know, I was going to make the argument that you know, third season, mm-hmm. third season was very touch and go with the scripts. You know, it had some great classic episodes, but yeah, some, some of the, the suckiest episode 
Spock's brain was mm-hmm. in third season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's also not really a sign that it had worn its welcome because my understanding is the reason third season was so bad was that Roddenberry didn't want to spend any extra money knowing they were going to get canceled again after the third season. Right. So he didn't want to spend any money on the better writers. So right. he just took took what he had. Took what he had. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, and like there are also, I mean, every even today when I go back and watch the original series, like I forget how many seat like sh- actual episodes were in a television show back then. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like it's like twenty six episodes. I'm like, why does this season go on forever? Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. You went for a half year and then you went into summer repeats. Right. Yeah. Like, why yeah. are we still in this season? You know, like, but yeah. 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 But it was first and second seasons mm-hmm. were very strong. So it they showed were. it had the chops for great yeah. storytelling. Mm-hmm. But even Twilight Zone only went so long. Right. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's like, what if it was a 25 season television show? But like, what if it had gotten its full five year mission? Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm with you. And I think it's the same thing with the Beatles breaking up. Mm-hmm. I think part of why they are remembered as one of the, the, if not the best rock band ever, mm-hmm. is because they broke up at their zenith. Mm-hmm. Although the Rolling Stones are better. But. <laughs> I will give you that only if you're into blues. I am. Into blues. Rolling Stones did more to popularize blues, I think, than any other band. Yeah. And Keith Richards is going to live forever. Yeah, he already has. I think he's already 97% embalming fluid, 3% blood. Yeah. It's a great meme out there, which is every time you smoke a cigarette, you take a day off your own life and give it to Keith Richards. <laughs> 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 which I firmly believe when I was smoking. I was like, all right, it's a good cause. <laughs> like, <fair> <laughs> what cracked me up was seeing Keith Richards at home. Have you ever seen him in his study? Yeah. He's like... He has the trappings of being a 19th century Oxford professor. Oh, yeah. He, like, totally lives into, like, I'm a rich English <laughs> yeah. kind of, like, thing. Yeah, he the, loves the, it. Like... The leather-bound, dense books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Telescope at the window. Yeah. Whoa. Great. So Anyway, so that's my that's my first what if. We'll do two each. Okay. So I think it would have failed, similar to Lost or mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, or when you have a long enough series. Yeah. And you run into complications along the way in the production side, uh-huh. it tends to fail. Yeah, not because of fan support or anything like that. It's just the actual production of it failing. Yeah, and that's a good. That's a good. Kate and I we put on the first episode of Lost because it's on Hulu mm-hmm. last night, and both of us hadn't really watched the show since it finished. And I remember like that first episode. I was like, "Oh, this is so good," and I'm like, "But I know that this ends mm-hmm. so poorly." And you know why? <laughs> yeah. You know why? It's J.J. Abrams. It, well, not J.J. Yeah. Yeah. This is a symptom of J.J. Yeah. Abrams. Because Fringe is pretty good. It holds its own for quite a while. Until that last and season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until that last season. Yeah. Here's where the problem is. Babylon 5. We'll uh-huh. go back to that. Uh-huh. When J. Michael Straczynski launched the show, he already had all five seasons plotted out. Yeah. When he wrote episode one, he knew what was going to happen in season five's final episode. Right. And so... The whole arc of the series was very cohesive. J.J. Abrams gets in. They have a great idea. They start with the idea, but they have no idea where they're going to go. Right. And Mm -hmm. Lost is so symptomatic of that. Yeah. So it ends with a fizzle because it's like, well, when they launched the show, they had no idea. Right. They didn't even know what the premise was when they launched the show. Right. Yes. I mean, you got to look at Mandalorian with uh, Favreau writing season four before even shooting season three. So he knows where everything ends up. Exactly. That's how you do good television. Right. 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 Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. 
And that's why when Abrams touches Star Wars, it's just... Lens flare! <laughs> yeah, lens flare. We'll do the same plot as the original movie, and we'll add lens flare. Yep, <laughs> that's, yep that's entirely... Yeah, yeah. Well, and like... Yeah, there's just so many things I could say. You know, I... Yeah. We don't want to make this about why Lost was disappointing. <laughs> nope. <laughs> there were so many things. Uh, anyway, so that's my it's first... A, it's a cultural trauma. Yeah, yeah. that's my yes. first... It is. It, anyway, Drew, what is your what if? What if hoverboards were real? <laughs> <laughs> like the... As literally depicted in... As literally depicted in Back to the Future. Okay. Yeah, you can't get these, these wimpy battles. No. No, so, so as literally depicted in... Yes. Well, yeah. there'd, there'd be a lot of implications, right? So, like, we would have had phenomenal energy output technology, right? Because mm-hmm. you would need it for that. Um, you'd know there'd be a whole movement of old people seeking to ban them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, you just... <laughs> Absolutely certain. Yeah. <laughs> that would become my major mode of transportation. I know, yeah, right? Yeah. But there'd be this whole, like, here's kids on your hoverboards. <laughs> <laughs> but imagine the Tony Hawk game. <laughs> the Tony Hawk video game with a hoverboard. We would, have, we would have to clone Tony Hawk to make, teach him how to use a hoverboard. Just to, yes. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it would be an interesting world, that's for sure. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I can say with confidence, yeah, there's not going to be bicycles if there's hoverboards. No, that's probably true. Yeah. Wow. You can reduce CO2. You could do all sorts of like interesting like long-distance hoverboarding competitions. Yeah. You yeah. know, like hoverboard across the Atlantic Ocean. You know, something like, you know, mm-hmm. there'd be some interesting like yeah. variations on hoverboarding sports. Who? <sighs> um, going down Mount Everest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you could totally do that on a hoverboard. Right extreme downhill hoverboarding right make that a make that an olympic an olympic event yeah 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 yeah. i like that a lot okay wow dan i'm going with low-hanging fruit Uh uh-huh warp drive okay what if let's just make ftl drives in general ftl drives in Mm. general see okay okay yeah because I, I was wondering the other, pondering the other day when I was going through the logarithmic table mm-hmm. of how fast warp drive would be. Yeah. The different warp one, warp two, warp three. Well, and you I gotta, was calculating they, how long it would take. They to get do from different Earth. scales too, right? Yeah. So, so you like, got to go. Like gotta, it was one thing in the original series, became something else in next gen. Right. It's totally different in Voyager, and the, yeah. So going with the latest logarithmic. Well, mm. actually. <laughs> to be nerdily honest, every time they've revamped it, I've recalculated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you almost have to because, like, they say things, and I'm like, wait, but... <laughs> but that wouldn't work that way yeah. under the old schema, so... Right. Um, but, yeah, as one of my, when I'm bored, calculating how long it would take to diff- get to different star systems at different mm-hmm. warp speeds. Yeah. Um, I always use... <laughs> I always use the Centauri system as my, my yeah, baseline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's what... <laughs> 4.2 light years away. Yeah. yeah. So at warp so, one, if warp one is literally light speed, right? Yeah. It's a hop, skip and a gate jump away, you know? So. Right. right. So Dan, uh-huh. if a Klingon bird of prey leaves, uh, <laughs> leaves Kronos uh, going at mark, uh, warp nine and the millennium Falcon takes off Tatooine going into hyperspace. What time did the TARDIS arrive? <laughs> The problem there is they're never actually clear on where Kronos actually is. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, there, yes. It's yeah, got, they did. Yeah. Did they? You need to look at the right star maps. Uh, I mean. <laughs> um, Discovery for sure, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. 
but just how that would, how much that would change things, mm-hmm. you know, because we could completely inhabit the entire solar system. Yeah. You know, well, right. in, in make... just however much time it takes to build things because mm-hmm. anything within the solar system is within an hour. Right. So boom, done. And then to go off to other star systems. Yeah. The biggest issue would be, you know, the communications. Mm-hmm. If, we, if we don't have subspace. Which is yeah. totally a thing they made up. Just yes. To like <laughs> yeah. To, so they could to, have those. To solve, the, yeah. right. <laughs> to solve that problem. So, you know, communicate. We'd be back to basically the Pony Express where all communication between star systems, fast mm-hmm. distances would have to be done by a courier. Be, might be. So that's it. So, yeah. I mean, okay. warp drive. The only downside is communication mm-hmm. would really slow down. Okay. So, all right. My number two is what if the Soviets had actually succeeded in landing on the moon after us? Ah. Okay. My theory here is that, so, you know, after we wrapped up the Apollo program, there was this big report on what we should do. And it had all these wonderful plans, but we didn't do it because we had no competition anymore. Right. right? I mean, the only reason we would go to the wind to the moon is because of competition. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you read Kennedy's speech at Rice for why we should go to the moon works as equally well for blowing up the moon and like <laughs> yeah. moving the moon yeah. to Mars. You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the logic is, you know, hold doing, my beer, right? Hold like, my beer. We're Americans. Yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. going to do something totally ridiculous just to beat the Soviets. <laughs> well, I, a lot of that comes through in the speech itself. Like I left how he says we will go to the moon and do those other things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Like, <laughs> who says, and do those other things? Right. We choose to go to the moon because it is difficult. Yeah. Like, wait, what? Like, yeah, we choose to go to the moon because we're scared the Soviets are going to get there first. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So we needed the competition. So, and we don't get the competition because the Soviet program by then, like they, I think, like the, the main, their main rocket engineer had like died or something. And so nobody knew what was going on after that. And so their rocket blew up and they never go to the moon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Instead, they start doing space stations, and we do space stations, and, and you we know, shake hands, and right, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. They actually managed to go to the moon, right? So the space race is still on. Mm-hmm. You know, suddenly the next step is Mars, right? You know, now it's the first one to Mars, and and I think space infrastructure would look totally different if we had just if they had just followed up <laughs> in <laughs> 1971 <laughs> after we landed in 1969 or mm-hmm. something like that. Hmm. Anyway, that's my other what if. Okay. What if, this, hmm. what if the Soviets had actually landed on the moon after us? They don't need to beat us. They just need to be like within a two-year time frame of being there with us. Yeah, because like, that's still a threat. Right. Yeah, and agree. they would have built a base. We would have built... This is basically the, like the, the well, storyline. We would have line. had 2001. Yeah. That's right. what would have happened. Yeah. Yeah, 2001 right. would have been on target. Right. Would have been on target. But we lost the competition. So, so we, we stopped the so race. So we stopped the race. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. Darn you, Soviets. I know. What would China have done? I mean, how much of a player was China in, in... They didn't start doing it. They actually didn't even get into space, manned spaceflight, until like the 90s or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was a long time. They, a large part, they weren't interested. Hmm. Right? They weren't part of the competition, so they didn't care. Yeah. Um, then they, we'll... Their interest really, and this gets back to the competition factor, their interest really didn't ignite until the Soviet Union fell and the U.S. was the only real spacefaring nation. And their economy was picking up, so it's like, well, if we're going to take on the Americans economically, we've got to take and them if we're going to take them space. on geographically, then we got to take them on in space too. 
And we got caught with our pants down because, you know, they're advancing with huge, great, tremendous plans for space. Mm -hmm. um, lunar and Martian colonization, all kinds of Earth sciences studies from space. And we're sitting here twiddling our thumbs. We're getting better now. Yeah, but we're <laughs> We're kind of like the kid who's mm. behind, yeah. and we're just grasping at things to try to yeah. do, but we don't have a cohesive yeah, well. space policy like the Chinese do now. All right. Drew, number two. What okay. Transport technology, uh -huh. but as a weapon. I never understand. There's that one Voyager species that like beams out your organs. Mm -hmm. via a weapon yeah and like i i agree with, i'm totally with you on this one i don't understand why transport like it literally dematerializes matter yeah like why aren't they just like literally dematerializing holes <laughs> that's true oh, because like, the just, bigger the bigger energy consumption on a transporter is reassembling right just like yeah like easy to tear things I'm, apart right. yeah i mean all you have to do is a, a dematerializer gun Right. And you fire it at anything, and once it hits matter or something, it right. instantly. But isn't that what a phaser is? That, I don't know. That's... Yes, but it. Ex but what that's doing is it's. Yes, it is doing that, but it's doing it through a superheated beam of energy instead of like the transporter relocation system. Yeah, you know, scattering your molecules. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because. That would be so much more effective than actual phasers, especially in space, yeah. because, oh, suddenly there's a small hole in the hull. You know, every like all the air goes out like that would be so much more of an effective weapon than phasers. Right. But if you had a lock on something with a transporter gun, it actually wouldn't miss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, that's Ooh. just horrible. <laughs> No, it's a, it'd be a weapon. It'd be a yeah. banned by the Geneva Convention or something. But yeah, but I, like, and that's the thing is like, all, then all transporter tech would be banned yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, it would have to be because there'd be no way to pull it back. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Gene Roddenberry, you didn't think about the monstrous consequences of your yeah. inventions. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I mean the transporter as it works with the Federation, it would, it would right. be, it would be a horrible weapon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was the? Uh, wow, I never. In my, my sweet little innocence, I never thought about <laughs> never that. thought about making a gun out of the transporter. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest criticism I had for the transporters, you know, when people die. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah, you, if you've got their pattern in the pattern buffer, just reassemble to beam the corpse back, but reassemble it in the state yeah. of right mm -hmm. before they beamed down, before they died. The worst that happens is they have no memory of the away team mission. Yeah. Mm -hmm. they're, they're just reset. I've always assumed there must be like some federation law that's like if somebody the, dies being there, assembled. There's got to be some ethical. Right. Well, I would have said that before Lower Decks, but there's a throwaway <laughs> line in one of the Lower Decks where I can't remember his name, the, the security officer. But anyway, the, the security officer in the Cerritos, mm -hmm. he dies in one season mm -hmm. and then suddenly <laughs> reappears the next season. And Boimler says, wait, what? He's like, he's like, he says, what happened? He was dead. And someone just makes the offhand comment. It's just a throwaway scene. He just nope. makes the offhand comment of, oh, he's bridge crew. They always come back to life. Yeah. <laughs> he's bridge crew. Yeah. No, yeah. Okay. Trans what if transporter gun? Okay. I'm yeah. Sold. Now we need a whole series of like alternate fiction. Yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. Episodes of like wow. where transporters are banned by international intergalactic convention because they've been yep. a series of horrific 
the transporter wars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. All right. Damn. That would be a really good short novel, though. It would be a really good yeah. short novel. Yeah. The transporter wars. What if the DeLorean was real? The time machine? Yeah. Or the car. Either one, actually. <laughs> it's actually a pretty crappy car. Yeah. <laughs> That's my point exactly. Um, I mean, any pick any time machine. Yeah, any time machine. You know, I have thought for obvious reasons. I've thought a lot about the TARDIS and what it would be like to actually have one. Maybe yeah. it's not so obvious. Dream, yeah, uh, I mean, I know I kept that hidden. Yeah, I mean, people can't see you, Dan. <laughs> This is a podcast. This is not a video podcast. This is an audio only. So no one can see you when you're wearing a Doctor Who shirt. Um, um, but yeah. the, just the conundrum of time travel. Like in my case, some of the tragedies our family has faced. Uh-huh. Part of me says, yeah, go back this far. I've already reconciled the fact that I don't want to go back any farther than my last child was born. Okay. Because the butterfly effect. You know, yeah. With what training I've had in physics, I know the tiniest little thing I mean, the cascades question, out. So well, I don't want to question change is, anything. How would it actually born. work? How, how would the machine work? No, like how would the time changes? Like, are we doing like Avengers rules? Where like it's no, its we're own? not doing. To me, it's a yeah. cop out to say mm-hmm. it creates another side universe. Yeah. Well, no. wouldn't it have to be a completely separate universe? Nope. No. Well, then you got to do no. the deal with the paradox of there's two of you at the same. Yeah, exactly. Space. Exactly. Like, David Gerald actually did a cool version of that. Yeah. Who yeah. Trouble with Tribbles. Mm-hmm. He had a time travel mm-hmm. where by the end of the book, that whole conundrum of two of you at the same time in the mm-hmm. same place. Yeah. He actually ends up being his own mother and his own father, and that's why he's an orphan. <laughs> <laughs> Philip J. Fry, <laughs> Futurama. <laughs> yeah. But you get into that. There are so many. But if, you, if you just take... I mean, it's the Terminator paradox, right? Yeah. Like, you know. I've got to take Einstein. Einstein's resolution to it was that in your present, the past is the past no matter what. Mm. So if you go back, Still your you're f- the one that created that past in the first place. Yeah. So that... It's like taking away free will, in a sense. You think you're going back to fix something, but you end up being the cause of that something that you went back to fix. Because the past is fixed. All you can change in the Einsteinian universe is the future. But it's not the past anymore to you. It's your present. No. Which is... But you have the universe's absolute timeline. It's almost like in Doctor Who, the fixed points of space and time that can't be altered. But it's almost like in Loki with... um... I know oh. it's aberrations, but what's it called when it deviates from the timeline? They're like they use a term. Yeah, they have yeah, a term. They have it, a term. It means like deviation, but it's much yeah. cooler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember what it is. Yeah, and you remember variance. before variance. Yeah. Yes, a variance. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be. I like the Looper answer. It would be made illegal in the mob. Would you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Because I do think that's where it would end up. (laughs) I do think it would. Yeah. Looper's totally good. Like, I've heard people give Looper crap for that. But I'm like, no, that's actually totally realistic. They make make it illegal in, like, criminal organizations. Yeah, because once the technology is is discovered, uh, once people know you have discovered it. Yeah. People are going to use it. It's out of the bag. They're going to use it. Right. And the thing about humans is we will say something's impossible until someone has done it. Uh And the moment they have done it, the moment we know it actually is possible, 
We come up with 50 different ways of making it happen. Right. Everybody figures out yeah. how to do it. Yeah. Right. We reverse engineer anything. We just need to know it can. It's like the happen. lead and copper thing, right? With the yeah. getting back to where we started yes. this episode, right? Yeah. Because it's like, wait, you mean it's just lead and copper and some alchemy? <laughs> that produces superconductors? Yeah. Turns yeah. out the ancient Egyptians just had superconductors. <laughs> Who knew? No. And we are. We are, we are going. I had a, a prophet, Penn State, mm-hmm. who was a sci-fi author. Right. And he had this theory, which pretty much has proven true through his lifetime, that whenever sci-fi really gets focused on a particular thing, mm-hmm. that ends up coming true. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like the mass gestalt, Jungian unconscious yeah. it senses that civilization is about to hit the So the FBI threshold. hauled in on all the sci-fi magazine authors at one point before they dropped the bomb and were like, where's the leak? Yeah. <laughs> they're like, teenagers have been writing about big city destroying bombs for yeah. 30 years. Well, so people going on now about this, oh, we're heading into a dystopian future, what do we do? And I'm like, I've been reading about this for 50 years. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about yeah, you. We, we have, yeah. We've had our training, we've had our manuals. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you not pay attention during Mad Max? I mean, come right. on. That was a right. documentary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Didn't you see? Yeah. Get your leather ready. Um, yeah. But anyway, that for me, yeah. that's the reality of time travel. I agree that it would end up being highly regulated. Yeah. And as a result of that, it would mainly be used by organized crime. Right. Well, I mean, look at Harry Potter. Like, it's one of those things that they almost never no one ever remembers it but the time turner yeah right yeah that thing exists and like it never exists again yes <laughs> it's like wait a minute <laughs> yeah like, hold the phone <laughs> yeah also okay I'll, I'll end on there are i have met so many problems with the harry potter universe <laughs> Ooh. so this is like not even Whoa. Ooh, on my top episode. 25 you know Ooh. <laughs> but, we're gonna have a list now but somewhere in like the top 50 is what irresponsible little class planning division Hogwarts <laughs> was like yeah you can take physically more hours a day <laughs> you know yeah. like like yeah sure that sounds the like ultimate a, extra credit yeah. that sounds like a wise idea for a 13 year old <laughs> like yes <laughs> you know it's like yes yeah. yes yeah. i'm i'm with you on that <laughs> this gets back to my theory that the british special operative should have raided hogwarts and arrested everybody at the place <laughs> What if they already knew? <laughs> they have this throwaway line in like one of the books where it's like, it's like we have agreements with the human governments. I'm like, that's where you lost me. Like, if the humans <laughs> yeah. actually knew you all existed, like, man, British SAS would be like, right there. Right there. Yeah. Like, I don't believe it. No. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been Church in Space in, in 3D. Hey, see you, folks. Hey, Dan. Yeah, true. Do you have a long enough power cord there? I mean, I think 100 feet's a little bit too much. No. Okay, then. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Dave, but every answer I had was not for public mm-hmm. hearing. Turn, tune in next week to figure out why it's not long enough. <laughs> no. He got very calm there, and that's when we all knew. Race for impact. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything Renee is going to hit me for. Uh, so there we go. There. See you, folks. <laughs>